Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. For free resources and free messages, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or call us for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. We come, Lord, with a ready heart to learn from our God. And so, Lord, teach us. Teach me, teach each one here, Lord, as we open your word now together. In Jesus' name, amen. And let's just do that. We'll open the word together because Caleb's arrived, so now we can open the word together. (laughs) Okay, Genesis chapter 26 and verse 1. And there was a famine in the land beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went unto Abimelech, king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. And the Lord appeared unto him and said, Go not down into Egypt, dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee and will bless thee. For unto thee and unto thy seed, for I will give all these countries, and I'll perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father, and I'll make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven. Give unto thy seed all these countries, and thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, my laws. Isaac dwelt in Gerar. The men of the place asked him of his wife and said, She's my sister. For he feared to say, She's my wife. Lest, said he, the men of the place should kill me for Rebekah, because she was fair to look upon. came to pass, when he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of Philistines, looked out a window, saw, Behold, Isaac was sporting with Rebekah, his wife. Abimelech called Isaac, said, Behold, of a surety, she's thy wife. How saidst thou, she's my sister? Isaac said unto him, Because I said, lest I die for her. Abimelech said, What is this thou hast done unto us? One of the people might lightly have lined with thy wife, and thou should have brought guiltiness upon us. And Abimelech charged all his people, saying, He that touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Then Isaac sowed in that land, received the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him. The man waxed great, went forward, grew until he became very great. He had possessions of flocks, possessions of herds, great store of servants. The Philistines envied him. All the wells which his father's servants had digged in the days of Abraham his father, the Philistines had stopped them and filled them with earth. Okay, so here we are. And since we've entered this chapter 26, we've been with Isaac as he came into this land of the Philistines alone without Abraham. We've tried to walk with Isaac. We've tried to see what Isaac saw. We've tried to feel what he felt. We've tried to hear what he heard and just to see how, how God became for Isaac everything. And we felt with Isaac the disaster in verse 1 of the famine in the land. And we've been with Isaac as he made his plans to go down to Egypt. That was the logical place to go. It was the land of food, land of plenty. And we've been there and with Isaac. In fact, if we were there with Isaac, and Isaac turned to us and says, well, what do you think? I mean, you know, the famine is causing me to lose my livestock, and I, I can't feed my family. Do you think I should go down to Egypt? And we would have said, absolutely, you need to go down to Egypt. Do we agree? That's logical. That's what you should do. We counsel you, go down to Egypt. Why should you stay in this place of famine where you're just going to be reduced to poverty? And we would have said to Isaac, Isaac, leave this place of famine and go to the place where there's food. That's my advice for you. That's my counsel, Isaac. Go down to Egypt. And so as Isaac starts down on this trip to Egypt, we're happy. We think that Isaac, he made the right decision. But then verse 2 comes, and we feel with Isaac this frustration. Verse 2, it says, The Lord appeared to him and said, Go not down into Egypt. 
dwell in the land that I'll tell thee of. And we felt this frustration with the Lord and saying to Isaac, Isaac, stop, halt, don't go down to Egypt. And we felt, and we've been there, we filled with Isaac this urge to argue with God. If we were there, we'd be kind of like saying, but there's a famine in the land. And we planned this for a long time, thought it through. We need to go down to Egypt. We're on our way down to Egypt. I can't stop now. We can't stop now. We plan to go to Egypt. It makes no sense to stay in this land of famine. I mean, I'm on my way to Egypt. I don't want to abandon my plans to go to Egypt. And verse 2 is a real trial for Isaac because notice what God says in verse 3. See, in verse 3, God's saying to you, stay in the land I'm going to tell you of. But before God said that, for Isaac to stay in the land that he's going to show him, in verse 3, God told Isaac in verse 2, you stop and you abandon your plans. See, first God said to Isaac in verse 2, go not down into Egypt. And then God says, later, sojourn in this land, in verse 3. See, God knew it was not going to be easy for Isaac to abandon his plans that were already in motion to go down to Egypt. So that's why God starts out by saying to Isaac, scrap your plans, abandon your plans. See, the first words out of God's mouth to Isaac are, go not down into Egypt. It's as if God's saying to Isaac, Isaac, if there was going to be any resistance from you, on you scrapping your plans, on you abandoning your plans to obey me, let's deal with it right off the bat. Let's deal with it right now because my first words to you, Isaac, are go not down into Egypt. And so Isaac, if you're going to take the position, well, I must go down into Egypt. My heart is setting on going down into Egypt. I have to be allowed to be go down into Egypt. Then that's a problem, and let's deal with it right now, right away. Because unless you're willing to submit and obey me, we can't go on together. So it's the impact that's coming in verse 2. You know, it's like God is saying to Isaac, look, Isaac, one of us has got to be Lord. (laughs) So Isaac, is it going to be you or is it going to be me that's going to be Lord? I mean, both of us can't be Lord. So there's only one throne in your heart, Mark, the Lord throne. And either either you're going to sit on the Lord throne or I'm going to sit on the Lord throne. So this test in verse 2, is all over who's going to sit on the Lord's throne in Isaac's heart. And that's verse 2, and God says, go not down to Egypt. After Isaac had already thought it through to go to Egypt, he made his mind up to go to Egypt, he was on his way going down to Egypt. See, this was a test for Isaac if he was going to do what it says in Romans 14, 11, for as it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. And every tongue shall confess me as God. See, the question here, verse 2, what's on the line here is, will Isaac bow the knee to God? Will he submit? Will he give up his plans to go down to Egypt? It's a real test of wills here in verse 2, when the Lord makes it, makes it crystal clear, not only by what he said, but what he did. In verse 2, he, God appears to Isaac, and so that there's be no question about what he's going to say. Don't go down there. So we struggled with Isaac with this matter. We understood, you know, Isaac's first word would have been, you know, but, you know, but, Lord, you don't understand. There's a famine in this land. But, Lord, we're already on our way down to Egypt. The ball is already rolling, you know, and all the other but lords that could have come out of his mouth. And we felt Isaac and all these but lords that would have come out of his mouth, and he's running just to to run off at the mouth and say, but, Lord, 
Isaac did exactly what Job did, and he says he did, in Job 40, verse 4, where Job says, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay mine hand upon my mouth. See, we've all been there when we felt so frustrated and our mouth is just kind of going off with the butt, Lord, and we just have to do like this, you know. That's it. I'm not going to say a word. That's what Job says. I will lay my hand upon my mouth. And when he did that, he reached the victory of bowing the knee to God and is saying, here, Lord, I just got off the Lord throne in my heart. Why don't you sit there? And he reached this victory, and this was the great victory that Job reached also in the 21st verse of the first chapter of Job when he said this famous statement. He said, naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord had taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. See, Job was saying that he was naked at this time of his life. He was stripped of everything that he used to have, and he had the victory over his frustration when he said, it was all never mine to start out with. It was never mine to begin with. It was all given to me by God. God's taken it all away from me, and I'm gonna bless the Lord for the undeserved time that I had to have it and enjoy it. That's what he was saying. And we've all been there in this battle over stubbornness. And that's why we can feel what Isaac's feeling in his heart over stubbornness. Because by God starting his conversation with Isaac to give up his plans, those were Isaac's plans to go to Egypt, it made the relationship between Isaac and God come down to just one word. O-B-E-D-I-E-N-C-E. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Do you remember that song? (laughs) Doing exactly what the Lord commands. Doing it happily. Action is the key. Do it immediately. Joy you will receive. Okay, that's the children's song, and it's exactly right on. Because when it says obedience is the very best way to show you believe, And if we asked Isaac in verse 2, Isaac, what are you struggling with? Isaac would say, I'm struggling with obedience. And God knew that Isaac was struggling with obedience in verse 2. That's why when God holds out to Isaac, Abraham, look at Abraham, Isaac. He's your example. And what he says, the very first thing that God has to say to Isaac about Abraham in verse 5 is what? That's the very first thing. He obey, obey. He says, obey in verse five. Because that Abraham obeyed my voice. See, God said to Isaac, Abraham obeyed. And in verse two, God was saying to Isaac, my command to you is to not go down to Egypt. And it's, this comes down to a matter of obedience, Isaac. Without obedience, there is no faith. Without obedience, there's no faith. Why? Because obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Faith is obedience, which is why faith is described the way it is in Hebrews 11, 1 through 2, where it says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good report. See, substance, it's the substance in our life. People can look and they say, oh, I see the substance. I see what you hope to please the Lord because you are obedient to the Lord. What evidence is there in our lives that people can see the things that are not seen? It's our obedience to God. And then as that passage goes on, it describes this essential link 
between faith and obedience in the life of Abraham when it says a few verses down in Hebrews 11.8, by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go into a place where he should receive an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. See, these words in Hebrews 11.8, by faith, Abraham obeyed. It shows this marriage that obedience and faith are married together. By faith, Abraham obeyed. So from verse 2, we felt with Isaac as he fought this battle of stubbornness. Is he going to crown Jehovah Jesus Lord of his life? And that's what it boils down to. And as we said in Hebrews 11, 2, it says, by this faith, by this obedience, the elders obtained a good report. That's what we see God doing here in verse 5. God is holding out Abraham to Isaac and saying, I have a good report for this man. He obtained a good report, Abraham did. And I'll give you, God would say, in essence, is saying, I'll give you the report right now. He obeyed, did all these things. That's the battle that Paul fought in his conversation, his first conversation with God, with the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul describes that in Acts 9, 5 through 6, which is really his testimony when he was saved. And he said in Acts 9, 5, he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest, and it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. See, Paul starts off by asking God, Who is he? How are you, Lord? He calls him Lord. Who art thou, Lord? So when Paul calls him Lord, he's saying, I'm prepared to make you the Lord of my life. I'm prepared for you to sit on the Lord throne of my heart. So he's saying, I just need to know who you are. And after Paul heard God say, that his name was Jesus. Then Paul continued with the title of Lord, and he says, okay, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? In other words, just as it was with Isaac, so it was with Paul, it just all came down to obedience. And so when Paul asked the Lord Jesus Christ what he should do, the Lord Jesus, he didn't say to him, oh, nothing, Paul. (laughs) I just wanted to save you from hell, and now that you've got this eternal life insurance, just go on, you know, live the life the way you want to, just enjoy your life. I won't be bothering you anymore until death, so have a nice life. He didn't do that at all. When Paul said to the Lord Jesus what he wanted him to do, the Lord Jesus says, get up and go into a city and go there and then it'll be told you what you should do. Like Abraham, you know, he went out into a place not knowing where he went. It's so interesting how Paul describes this event in his life to King Agrippa. He's talking to King Agrippa, he tells him what happened and he says to him in Acts twenty six nineteen when he's describing it to King Agrippa, He says, whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. He called it that. First of all, he calls it a heavenly vision. And what's so interesting is that he tells King Agrippa that he wasn't disobedient to the heavenly vision. He told Agrippa that that vision of when I was saved was a matter of obedience. It all came down to obedience. And that's what happened to Isaac. God told Isaac, if I'm going to be the Lord of your life, then you have to obey me. So verse 2 is a crisis of submission for Isaac, of whether or not Isaac is willing to submit his life to the lordship of Jehovah Jesus. And that's the crisis for every person who comes to the Lord Jesus. It's a crisis of submitting to the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. God gives 
one reason why the Jewish people have not come to the Lord Jesus Christ for their own righteousness. And it's stated in Romans 10.3, where he says, for they, the Jewish people, being ignorant of God's righteousness, are going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. See, what he's saying there is to say, they're ignorant, they don't care because they're too busy trying to establish their own righteousness because they can't accept the alternative when the alternative is submission to the righteousness of God. See, it would be a matter, it is a matter for everyone because, you know, the Jews are just like everybody else, just a lot more so. <laughs> so anyway, it's a matter of a person saying, I'm done with trying to establish my own righteousness. Instead, I'm going to submit myself to the righteousness of God. For the believer, the righteousness of God is described in 1 Corinthians 1.30, but it's where it says, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness. See, righteousness is a person. Submitting to the righteousness of God is submitting to the person. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's made unto us righteousness. So we felt with Isaac, when God said to him in Genesis 26, 3, sojourn in this land and I'll be with thee and I'll bless thee. Those are painful words for Isaac to hear. Sojourn in this land. You know, verse one described to us what this land was. This is, a, this is a rotten land. This is a land that is a famine in this land. There was a famine in the land. So as Isaac looks over that land, Isaac says to himself, there's a famine in this land. And that makes the words of verse 3 so biting when God says, sojourn in this land. There's a famine in this land. God says, sojourn in this land. Live there. Those words in verse 3, sojourn in this land, we feel Isaac saying to God, why do you want me to sojourn in this land? There's a famine in this land. It's a terrible land to live in. It's a famine in this land. We can feel Isaac thinking, I don't want to live in this land. I want to live in Egypt or maybe Maui. And how often we find ourselves hearing God say to us, sojourn in this land. And we say to God, no, it's not a good place for me to be. It's not a good place for me to live in. Something terrible comes in our lives. Cancer, a difficult life problem. It's like a famine in the land. And our first move is, oh, get out of there. Move out of this land of famine. Uh, We want to go to Egypt. Get rid of that cancer. Get rid of that difficult problem. I have a friend. I mean, I know a man. He's not a friend. Anyways, I know a man whose wife got cancer, breast cancer. And for five years, he took her to every specialist that he could. I mean, uh, MD Anderson in Houston got her enrolled in every cancer trial that he could. And all this chemo and alternatives and everything. Why? I'm not going to sojourn in that land. Oh, we're going down to Egypt. And then she died and it was a catastrophe. So we pray, Lord, take me out of this land of famine. And God says, sojourn in this land. And we say, why? Why? Why, Lord, do you want me to stay in this land of famine? And God says, because I can work something wonderful in this land of famine, which is a fiery trial. It's a fiery trial that's described in 1 Peter 1.7, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, it might be found to the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. See, God knows that it's a trial of our faith. He knows that. But our faith is more precious than gold. 
is perishing. So God's looking forward to when we come out of the trial of faith, and then it will have the, to the praise and honor and glory of the Lord Jesus. But like Isaac, when we're in the land of famine, we say, it's strange to be here. It's strange. I shouldn't be here. I feel strange. This is a strange place to be. And God says in 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. And we've got to imagine Isaac wondering, if God really knows how hard it is for me to be in this place here, then why does he do it? And he could be asking a question, does God really know? And Job answered that question in Job 23.10 when he said, but he knoweth the way that I take. And when he hath tried me, I'll come forth as gold. You know, my father-in-law had severe Parkinson's that he died from after eight years of, of struggling. Finally took his life. And he would be so frustrated, not able to talk, not able to control his hands, not able to eat, not able to drink. As a matter of fact, that's how he finally died. He aspirated liquid. And he was just frustrated, you know, and sometimes he would call on the phone and we couldn't understand what he's saying. But when I read him this verse in Job, peace just came to him. The last part of this verse especially, when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. So from a prophetic point of view, this is going to be Israel's testimony, the Jewish people's testimony about how Jehovah Jesus brought them through the trials And then they're going to say the words of Psalm 66, 10 through 12. For thou, O God, hast proved us, thou hast tried us, as silver is tried. Thou broughtest us into the net, thou layest affliction upon our loins, thou hast caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire, through water, but thou broughtest out into a wealthy place. Now, so, what we've got to remember when we look at these verses is verse 1 is in the trouble, the famine in the land. Verse 2 is, you're not going to leave the trouble. Don't go down into Egypt. And verse 3 is, stay where you are, sojourn in this land. And then verse 3 is, I'll bless you in the trouble. I'll be with you. I'll bless you. So when God told Isaac in verse 3 that he would be with him and bless him, God was saying to Isaac, you're going to find more relief in God than if you did go down into Egypt. And so God's saying to Isaac that I'll satisfy you. I'll satisfy you, Isaac. It takes trouble for us to find God. That's the way it works. About three weeks ago, as you know, maybe you don't know, I fell off a deck at home. And so I bruised my shin badly. And so I was looking on the internet to find a laser device to take away the inflammation and the bruising cause circulation. So I called the salesman. And we start talking, and he tells me he's 37 years old, and he had uh, acute myeloid leukemia, AML. I told him, well, my wife just died of that, you know. And then he describes to me how he went through a bone marrow transplant and was on immunosuppressants and all the terrible things that is wrong with him now, and how he has continual infections and pulmonary infections and problems in and out of the hospital. And, And so I asked him, I said, did that not make you want to come to God through the Lord Jesus Christ? And he said, well, as a matter of fact, he has friends who have done that, and they have a peace that he doesn't have. And so, you know, I gave him the link to my testimony, and and, um, and so yesterday I called him again, and he tells me that he had atrial fibrillation. I said, well, I had that too. (laughs) We're really related. (laughs) And how he ended up in the hospital and had cardioversion. I had that too, you know. And And then they put him in a room, 
in the hospital, in the extreme brilliance of the hospital, they put him in a room with a patient with pneumonia. <laughs> and so, you know, he's in there for an hour and screams and yells and gets released in the hospital. Three days later, he's got pneumonia and he's in the hospital for two weeks. And so, I, again, I said, well, you know, did that not make you want to come to God through the Lord Jesus Christ? And, and he said, you know, he said, I was sitting in the hospital thinking about that, and I was thinking, why am I so stupid that it takes these things to happen in my life to make me come to God? And so I, I said, well, you're not in the hospital now, so you maybe can't be as stupid now as you were then. So <laughs> I asked him, are you ready to receive Christ? And he, he did, and he prayed to receive the Lord. So pray for him as I work with him to disciple him. He felt so stupid. He says to have these life-threatening issues to make him come to God. Well, that's our disease. Welcome to the human race. We are the sheep that go astray, and sometimes the Lord has to break a leg of us to cause us to seek God with all our heart. So, we look at verse 3 and see these terrifying words that God told Isaac, sojourn in this land. And we see right away, God follows up, I'll be with you. I will be with you. Sojourn in this land, I'll be with you. So the sequence in verse 3 is very important for us to see. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee. See, Isaac, stay right in this terrible place, but that doesn't mean I want to terrorize you by abandoning you there. That means that I'm going to especially be close to you in that terrible place, in that terrible land. Sojourn in this land, I will be with thee. That meant for Isaac. Isaac, stay in this terrible place. I'll be with you in that terrible place. Thank you for listening to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. If you would like to hear more of this message or other messages by Tom Cantor, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or go to iTunes.com and search for the Friendship with God podcast. All messages are cataloged by date and all available for free listening and free download. You can also call us directly for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Thanks for listening to Friendship with God with Tom Cantor.